0: So glad you're with us this morning. Uh, you might want to go ahead and take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to stand and read that in just a few minutes together from uh, chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. But what I want to start out by saying this morning is that God has always desired for people to know Him. God has always sought to make Himself known to all people. And uh, ultimately, God wants to have a personal relationship with every person where we have an accurate understanding of who He is. So God is always seeking to reveal Himself to us. As you know, in every personal relationship you're a part of, those best relationships are the ones where you have a personal knowledge of someone because you've actually known them personally. God wants that for each one of us. He wants us to know Him personally. We're going to talk about God's heart this morning in just a minute. And what does that have to do with knowing Him and how He's revealed Himself? The Bible says that God in days of old revealed himself through the prophets and that means that there were people who came to his people the israelites often and told them guys you're not getting this right you misunderstand you don't understand who god is you don't understand what god is like let me straighten you out on this and if you don't repent of this sin that you're involved in god's going to discipline you god's going to get your attention it's the reason a lot of us don't like to read the old testament is we think that it's a different god or something the god of the new testament's the god of love the god of the old testament's of god of wrath it's the same god same God. Actually, when you read the Old Testament, what you see through the prophets is you see God's heart. You see that he did reveal his heart to people by his dealings through the prophets with people. But ultimately, the book of Hebrews says that God revealed himself completely, finally, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, flesh and blood. We need that. We need to be able to see what God looks like, to see how God reacts and, and interacts with people on the planet. And that's what Jesus Christ came to do, is reveal his father. There's probably not a more important question that anybody ever asked themselves than this question. What is God really like? And none of us experience God with our five senses. I mean, maybe you do. If you do, I don't need to hear about it later. Okay. All right. So you may see him with your eyes or hear him with your ears, but I never have. Okay. And I haven't been able to reach out and feel him with my hands. You don't experience God through your five senses. So what you tend to do, what all of us tend to do, if we're not careful, is rely on our own experiences to tell us what God's really like. That's both often inaccurate and dangerous. That's not primarily how God reveals himself. He primarily reveals himself to us through his written word. That's the primary revelation of God. That's why it's written down for us, so we don't have to sit under a tree somewhere and go, is God speaking to me? Is God speaking to me? He's speaking through his word, dependable, written down, so we can understand it. And his motive is the same, to make himself known. God wants you to know him as he is. Over the next four Sundays, we're going to be looking at different aspects of God, who God is in his most basic character, in his the basic essence of who he is, so that you can have an accurate understanding of him to know how to have a personal relationship with him. Fundamentally, we're going to let the word of God shape and influence what we believe about God instead of just relying on our own personal experiences. The Holy Spirit inspired men to write the Word of God. And oftentimes throughout the Bible, as you read the Bible, you'll see this for yourself, there are themes, there are common ideas that recur and and repeat themselves through the Word of God. And I believe the Holy Spirit does that because there are important things that we don't need to miss. There are important things that we need to be sure and get and understand. And one of those things is communicated through a phrase that's used several times throughout the Old and New Testament. And it's the phrase, how much more? In fact, over the next three weeks after today, next total of four, we're going to look at four different times that the New Testament uses that phrase, how much more, to communicate specifically something about God's character to us. So this morning, if you have your Bible, would you stand with me as we reverence God's word? We're going to read it together. I'll read aloud. You follow along either in your copy or on the screen there. Beginning in Matthew 7, verse 7, we're going to read these four verses together. Jesus said this, keep asking and it will be given to you keep searching and you will find keep knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who searches finds and the one who knocks the door will be open what man among you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. So what we see is that Jesus is in in his most famous sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus even came to set people straight about what God was like, who he really was. And one of the things that happens as a result of what Jesus says in this passage is God is communicating through Jesus to reveal his heart to us. What is his heart like? At the core of who God is, what is he essentially like? Jesus is revealing that to us In three things. First, God's revealed his heart to be, first of all, generous in his actions. God is essentially, fundamentally generous. Is that the way you think of God? The Bible says here, Your Father will give you. The Father desires to give. God's nature, his character, is generosity, he's a giver. Think about all the things that mentioned in the video, health and good tasting food. I'm glad everything doesn't taste like kale. I'm, a, I'm scared to eat kale, actually. I don't know what I might do, so I don't even try it, you know. It's like spinach, I guess. So I'm glad everything doesn't taste the same. I'm glad there's variety. I'm glad that there's a billion things in our life that we can look around and go, I'm glad for that, I'm glad for that, I'm glad for that. God designed all of that because in his heart, God is a generous God. He's a giving God. That's who he is, whether that's been your experience or not. God is the most generous being in the universe. The Bible says here that if you knock, it'll be opened. If you ask, you'll receive. If you seek, you'll find. God's not in heaven saying, well, let's play a game. Let's see how long you'll knock. Let's see how long you'll ask. Let's see how what. He's not playing games with you. God desires to give things to us that's his heart that's fundamentally who he is he guarantees fulfillment ultimately in him is what he's telling the disciples here jesus said in luke 12 chapter 30 chapter 12 verse 32 he said don't be afraid little flock because your father delights to give you the kingdom he doesn't just want to give us the kingdom the bible says he actually delights to give us the kingdom do you picture god that way do you picture god delighting in anything? like when you delight in something, what does that look like on your face? Usually, there's a smile on your face. Usually, I can tell when somebody is delighting in something, can't you? Like, it's obvious, their countenance changed, they get a big smile on their face, they're enjoying it. That's what the scripture is saying. God doesn't just want to give you his kingdom, he actually enjoys giving you his kingdom. That's fundamentally who God is. He enjoys being generous to you. Is that the way you think of God? Is that the way you picture him? Because that's how the Bible reveals him. I, early in my Christian experience, I had a friend who trusted Christ about the same time I did, but he was several years older than me and we worked together. And so one of the things we would do is we talked about God a lot. We talked about theology. We talked about we were reading our Bibles and none of us, neither one of us really knew anything. We didn't have any instruction. We were just reading it and trying to figure it out. So we had a lot of wrong ideas about who God was. His idea of God was this. God follows me around every day waiting for me to mess up so he can bop me on the head. I was like, really? You think that? You're scared of God all the time? You're walking around in constant fear that God's gonna bop you on the head, you know? Yeah, because he found some verse somewhere that made him believe that, okay? So fundamentally, he believes that God is a sadist. He enjoys bopping people on the head. He enjoys bringing pain into people's life, in heartache into people's life. That's what he fundamentally believed. Now, I didn't know much about God, but I thought, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the way the Bible presents God. I, I wasn't sure. I had some of that in my theology too. Like God was always kind of waiting around every corner to catch me, you know, because God knows everything. And certainly he knows when we mess up, he knows the good things and the bad things in our life. He knows every detail of our lives. Does, does that guy's theology, does that kind of line up with what you think about God? Remember I said a second ago, the most important question anybody ever asks is what is God really like? If you fundamentally believe that God's heart is to catch you doing wrong stuff so he can punish you, then you don't really know God. Because God's heart, Jesus is revealing God's heart and he's saying fundamentally, God is a giving God. He's a generous God. This is what James 1 says. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all how? How? generously without criticizing, and it'll be given to him. When you ask God for wisdom, he doesn't go, are you kidding? Are you asking me again? Did I not give you wisdom last time? I mean, how many times are you going to come to me and ask for wisdom? That might be what you would do if somebody came and asked you over and over and over again for something. That's not the way God responds. I think it's interesting the Bible even puts the nuance in there that he doesn't do it with criticism. Why? Because God loves to give good things to his people. He loves that. Do you think of him like that? That's his heart. James goes on to say in verse 16 and 17, don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. With him there is no variation or or shadow cast by turning. Have you seen in your life the generosity of God manifested? In fact, let me ask it this way. When's the last time you saw God's generosity manifest in your life? When did you see it physically in your life? When did you see it show up? in some way in your life. And let me just talk to the men a second. Guys, we all wanna be leaders of our family. We, We know that God's given us that responsibility, and he has, to be the head of our house. You know, what does that mean? Well, one of the things that means is that we initiate. We go first, that's what a leader does. So let me encourage you to do something very practical today. I want you, first of all, men, to think about this. Think about the last time you saw God's generosity manifest in your life. You got that? Think about when that was. Here's what I want you to do with that. today. When you sit down with your family for lunch, wherever that is, even if it's just you and your spouse, you and the kids, whoever, share that with your family. Hey, I want to follow up with what Brother Paul said today in his sermon. I want to talk to you guys about the last time I saw, because I just saw God do something really generous in my life this week. Let them share around the table. Let your wife share. Share that together. That's how you lead your family spiritually as you initiate the conversation. You get the ball rolling. So do that today, men, because we need to talk about, our kids need to see that we understand and believe that God is fundamentally generous, that I'm not, the, I'm not the source of blessing in my life. I know who that is. It's my heavenly father. He's the one that gives. You know, you guys probably know that my son recently moved to Anchorage, Alaska back in January, and he and his wife moved up there so he could pastor the True North Church there in Anchorage, and they're having a great time. He called me a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Dad, I got really bad news for you. He said, we love it up here. (laughs) I said, that's okay. I'll find you wherever you are. Don't worry. I'll find you, and I'll get there as quick as I need to, if I need to. So that's good news, actually, to me, and he knew it would be. But in the course of moving up there, as you can imagine, a move from Kentucky, where they were living, to Anchorage, Alaska, is a very expensive proposition. Their church gave them allowance for the move, but it didn't quite cover everything. And they were very generous, the church was. But they had to make two trips over the course of a few months. They went in January initially with their car. He came back, flew down, and drove a U-Haul back up a couple of weeks ago, now that the snow's melted, with all their stuff, you know. And um, so he said, Dad, it was very expensive. And he said, I'm not calling to ask for anything, first of all. Just know that up front, not asking for anything. Uh, But I got to tell you about God. He said it was very expensive, and we were way, we way misestimated what it was going to cost to do this. The gas, the truck, all of it. And he said, we were really short, several thousand dollars. I'm not calling to ask you for money. I'm calling to tell you that two different people gave us money without even knowing what our need was, and it was exactly what we needed. Several thousand dollars. They didn't tell anybody. They told us. They didn't tell anybody else that's living on the planet what their needs were. They told God. And God, who is incredibly generous, used his people to meet that need in our son's life. I said, Philip, God's going to take care of you. He's a good God. I don't know how he's going to do it. He's not always going to be able to use me to do it unless he gives it to me and I'll bless you with it if he blesses me with it. But he doesn't need me. (laughs) He's a good God. He's a generous God. So when's the last time you saw the generosity of God in your life? Maybe it's something very physical. Maybe it's something else. Some other blessing in your life. You know why God's generous? Because that's who he is. That's who he is at the core of his being. Jesus is saying through this passage of scripture, that's who God is. That's what his heart is. So if you wonder what's going on in your life, sometimes never doubt the generosity of God because that's fundamentally who God has revealed himself to be. Secondly this morning, not only has God revealed himself to be generous in his actions, but he's also revealed himself to be genuine in his motives. He says here, he will give good things to those who ask him. Now, you know, When you think about God and you think about good things, do you think of God as giving you good things or do you think of him as having some ulterior motive? Um, Do you believe that God's motives in your life are genuine? That's a tough thing for us. Let me encourage you. Psalm 8411 says this, the Bible makes us a great promise. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity, The New American Standard Version actually says it this way, no good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. In other words, God has your best interest at heart always. Always. Regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what your experience is, the Bible says that God will not withhold anything good from you if you walk uprightly. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has pure motives toward you? Or do you believe that his motives are devious and sinister? sinister? Somehow he's out to get you in some way. Listen, I want to tell you, we have to figure out in our theology how to balance these two ideas of God's goodness, of God's genuineness in his motives and our own suffering. And listen, there's probably no one in this room that hasn't been touched by tragedy in your life at some point. Right? All, I'm including myself in this. All of us go through things. We, we see loved ones taken out of our lives prematurely by death, or we see someone we love be diagnosed with a terminal disease and watch them suffer till the end of their life on earth. Or maybe we, we watch someone walk away from God who used to love God and become almost unrecognizable to us. And it hurts. The pain is real. The tragedy is real. It's devastating to us. And in the midst of that devastation, our experience tells us, why is God letting this happen to me? If God's good, and if God's generous, and if God's genuine in his motives, then why didn't he keep this from happening to me? Have you ever been there? You probably will be at some point. Look, I'm here to tell you that my experience or your experience can't dictate to me what God's like. If God is a generous, giving God when things are good, he's a generous and giving God when things are bad. He's the same God. And I don't say that from a position of haughtiness. I don't say that from a position of I don't know what you've been through because I don't know what some of you have been through. I see tragedy a lot. I do ministry. I'm with people. We see tragedy a lot in people's lives. But what I see happen so many times in people's lives when they go through tragedy, they blame God. They stop believing the truth of God's word, which says God's generous and God's genuine. He doesn't have a bad motive. He seeks your best interest. And you go, wait a minute, what happened to me wasn't best for me. It wasn't, there was nothing good about it. I didn't want to go through it. I'm still going through it. And I don't think anything is good about that. And so I turn my fist to God and I say, I don't need you in my life. And oftentimes what happens is when people go through devastating things, they just go, I don't. I don't need to be close to God I can't trust him you say he's generous you say he's genuine look what happened to me and we let our experiences inform who we believe God is instead of letting his word reveal who God is to us listen that's not new you go back and read in Genesis 3 right at the very beginning of the human race there's a lady named Eve in the garden and she's there and the serpent approaches her and says well Did God say you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? She goes, no, 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 we can eat from the trees of the garden. We just can't eat from the one that's right in the middle of the garden. And he goes, serpent says to her, yeah, because God knows the day you eat of that one, you'll be just like him, knowing good from evil. It's a half truth because they did know good from evil after that. Up to that point, they'd never known evil, right? And they're in this garden, Adam and Eve, where they see God's generosity on display every place they look. They're in a place of perfection. And God tells him, don't do this one thing. And the serpent creates this sense of distrust. First time you ever see distrust in the human race. Wait a minute. You're telling me God may have another motive? You're telling me God may not be as good as I thought he was, that he actually might be holding out on me, that he doesn't want me to eat of that because he thinks I'll be like him and then he doesn't want that for me? So maybe I should, right? Listen, what happens? She gets kicked out of the garden. Adam gets kicked out of the garden. There's this distance for the first time. God never wanted that. He doesn't want it for me. He doesn't want it for you. But so many times when we go through hard things, we go, my experience doesn't match up with what you're saying from the revelation of God. Then trust the revelation of God over your experience. Because listen, you're gonna need God's help to get through whatever that tragedy is you're going through. And what Satan wants to do is distance you from God so you can't get the help that you need to go through whatever it is you're going through. And again, I don't say this from a position of haughtiness. All of us face incredible struggles. And you say, you don't know what I've been through. I don't. I don't. But I know whatever you've been through, it can't change who God is. God's the same when things are good and he's the same when things are bad because he doesn't have an ulterior motive. This is what Paul said. It's a verse to hold on to when you don't understand what's going on around you. He said in Romans 8:28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who were called according to his purpose. And let me encourage you, when you're going through something really hard and you don't know what else to pray, just pray the truth of that verse. Just pray this, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I pray you'd bring good out of this situation for someone somewhere because when you pray that, you're praying according to the word of God. And and you, you know sometimes you can look back after it's been a period of time and see how God worked and how he brought good even out of a hard, hard thing. Sometimes it's hard to see that when you look back still. And I'm not minimizing the suffering, but I'm saying Satan wants to separate us from a close relationship with God, and oftentimes he uses pain and suffering in our life to do that. And he causes us to begin to believe things about God that are not true, that God's mean, that God doesn't care, that God's distant, he's remote, he's somewhere else, he's distracted, whatever else. No, the Bible says he's generous and he's genuine, and I want you to understand that that's who the God you serve is. He's a how much more kind of God. The third this morning, I want you to see this, that Jesus reveals that the heart of God is actually greater in his affection. What are we talking about here? Well, he says then, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, and we do. We're sinful, we're unrighteous, but we know how to give good gifts to our kids. We know how to do that. He's saying, if that's true, then, then here's the phrase I want you to, to land on. How much more then... How much more will God give to you good things when you ask him? He's not evil. He's not sinful. He's not unrighteous. So, so many times when you think about this, I want you to think about the greatest thing maybe you've ever given your kids. Parents, think about that for a minute. What would you say is the greatest thing you've ever given your kids? Probably it would be affection, that you've loved them consistently, or maybe it's it's attention, which really attention is the way we communicate love to people, by paying attention to them. I think that's probably one of the greatest things you can give your kids is attention, right? Well, the Bible says if those of us who are human and we're flawed, we know how to give good things to our kids, then he's saying, how much more does God? And God's not flawed. And when you think about kids and adults, children are so susceptible to child abuse because, and I hate that, but it's true because the adults have so much more power, knowledge, experience, and skill than a kid does when they're small and so oftentimes parents take advantage of that they manipulate they do things they shouldn't do in their kids lives they take advantage of that difference in strength that difference in knowledge that difference in power and they manipulate their kids and what jesus is saying is look it shouldn't be that way he's saying if you're if you love your kids when they come to you and ask you for something good like a piece of bread or a fish or something to eat you don't trick them, you don't manipulate them, you don't take advantage of the distance that exists between you to do something bad to them, and you're sinful. (laughs) And then he says, if that's true of you, then how much more where God has so much more power, so much more knowledge, so much more skill, so much more experience than we do, he's so much farther above us, and he doesn't take advantage. He doesn't take advantage of us. He doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't have ulterior motives with us. He cares about us. How much more then will he love us? See, Jesus takes a love that most of us understand, a parent to a child, a child to a parent. It's one of the most important loves there is in our lives as we grow up. He takes that and he says, that's really good, but let me tell you something. God loves you way more more than that. How much more does God love you? Do you think of God that way? Maybe you think of your own parents, and I don't know what your parents were like. maybe you had a good relationship with your parents. I know there's many people that didn't, but let's say you had a great relationship with your parents. You have no trouble understanding and believing that your parents love you. How much more do you believe God loves you? Because God's greater in his affection for you than you can even imagine. We're going to talk more about that next week. But I want you to think about this. Oftentimes when we think about discipline, we divorce it from the idea of love. But really when you discipline your kids, it's one of the greatest ways to demonstrate your love for your kids, right? Because you, you may wanna discipline other people's children sometimes, right? <laughs> or you just want them to discipline your children sometimes. But you may look at a situation that's going on, you're in a restaurant and you're thinking, come on lady, just really spank them, do something, put them in time out, do something with them. You know, They're running the show here, obviously. And those of us who've raised kids think we know how to do everything anyway. So you know, we tend to have that attitude sometimes. So you may wanna discipline somebody else's kids. The reality is do you discipline your own kids? And when we do discipline our kids, it's not fun. I know kids, you don't believe that, right? Someday you'll be an adult. You might be a parent someday and you'll understand, you know, when parents say this is gonna hurt me more than it's gonna hurt you, you know. It's kind of true. I mean, it's kind of true, you know. The spanking maybe not, but yeah, it's hard as a parent. And you think, I don't wanna stop and deal with this and have to impose a consequence, and then you're gonna be unhappy, you're gonna be a drag to be around for several days, and you're gonna be locked in your room with no food. It's gonna be terrible. (laughs) I don't really wanna do this, so I'll just blow it off. No, if you love your kids, you go, whatever it costs, I'm interested in your future. I'm thinking about the future here. I'm not just thinking about right now, and I'm thinking if you don't learn these things from me as your parent, you're going to learn them in a in a whole lot more serious way out there some way in the world. So I want to teach you those things now, so you discipline your kids because you love them. And you actually prove your love by disciplining your kids. You care enough about them to do the hard things. This is what Hebrews says about that. It says, "Endure suffering as discipline. God's dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons." Furthermore, We had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, amen, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Did you hear God's generosity and his genuineness in that passage of scripture? I did. That God does it because he loves us. He disciplines us because he cares actually about our future. Now, now let me demonstrate this to you. Let me tell you a story about a friend of mine. Recently had something happen in his life. Actually, about a month ago, he stood up before his church. He asked his pastor if he could share his testimony. His pastor said, yeah. And so I got to see it on social media. A friend of mine sent it to me because I knew my friend had not communicated with me in a couple of years and my attempts to communicate with him had failed. And I I thought something must be going on. This guy loves the Lord. And um, so here's what he did. He stood before his church a few Sundays ago, and he basically told them what they didn't know about him. And that was this, that three years ago, he made a decision. He said that I had reached a place in my life, in my career, where I was on the top of my game. I was somebody very influential in his community, and he was. He had an official position in his community. people respected him. They did what he said. He had a lot of authority. Uh, He made a good living. 30 years of a career culminates in this position that he loved, that he was in. In, And so he just, he just said, I got full of myself. And I did something that I regret now. But he said, I took this. I used to read this every morning. He said, I took it and I just laid it aside. And I stopped reading God's word. And I quit praying. And I just kind of thought, I don't need God. Look at me. He said, I know how crazy that sounds, but that's what I was thinking. I've arrived. I'm on the top of my career. I'm making money. People respect me. They do what I say. I mean, I am, I have arrived. I'm there, full of himself. And so over the course of three years, because he was drifting further and further away from God, he made some bad decisions, some, some sinful decisions, some illegal decisions. Did some things Illegal that were illegal. So about three months ago, he gets a call at his office from the state attorney general's office in the state of Texas and saying, you're under investigation. You are currently relieved of your duties. You're put on administrative leave. We'll let you know. Yeah. He goes home. His wife doesn't know anything about any of this stuff. She doesn't know the stuff that's been going on for three years that he's been doing. He's crushed. He's crushed. For three days, he said he didn't sleep. He couldn't talk about it. He was emotional, obviously. He was crushed. He was devastated. After three days, he got a call back. I think three or four days, he got a call back from his superior who said, "Uh, you need to come in, bring all your stuff with you. You're being indicted. And ultimately, he got fired from his job. And the next question was, am I going to go to prison? So he's found guilty of these charges and he had to wait. He had to wait until all these different things could fall in place or whatever. So for about two or three weeks, something like that, people from his church started coming to him, sharing scripture with him. They didn't know anything that was going on. They just knew that he'd been put on administrative leave. He didn't even tell him he'd been fired yet. So they came to him they loved on him. They poured into his life. They, They read scripture to him. And in the course of that, he gave up, he surrendered. He said, God, I'm coming back. I'm, I have disappointed you. I've sinned against you. I've disappointed my community. I've devastated my family. I don't even know if my wife's going to stay with me. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to prison. I don't know if I'm going to be a free man. I don't know what's going to happen. My whole future is up for question right now. Well, at the end of this period of time, he got called back and ultimately didn't have to go to prison he was rejoicing, but he had already decided if he had to go to prison, he was going to go to prison for God. he had already come back in his heart to a right relationship with the Lord. he had already repented of his sin. He had told everybody. He said, God, I'll tell anybody who wants to know what happened to me. I'll tell them the truth. I won't sugarcoat it. I'll own it. I'll tell them it was me. I did it. I walked away from you. I chose sinful things. I chose illegal things, wrong things. It was on me. It's not on anybody else. I won't make any excuses for it. So if I have to go to prison for it, I'm going to do it for you. I'm going to serve you in prison. I'm going to do the best I can for you. I am back with you. I want to walk with you and be close to you. So several days after that, he got a call from a guy. And now, so he's rejoicing he's not going to jail, but he's, he's going, how am I going to provide for my family? My career, my 30-year career gone. Never be able to work in that industry again. Guy calls him, says, hey, I know who you are. I've known you for a long time. I know you got away from the Lord and you did some things you shouldn't have done, but I love you and I'm going to give you a job. He's like, oh. Okay, yes, whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll take it. Yes, absolutely. So he's thrilled. Not as much money as he made before, but he's thrilled to have a job. Three days later, another guy calls him and says, look, I want to offer you a job. Same kind of thing. Making exactly what you were making in your career. He goes, I got to call the first guy back and tell him, you know, the guy, he called the first guy back. The guy goes, take it, do it. That's great. I can't pay you that. Take it. He got a job that paid him essentially what he was making when he got fired from his former job. Let me ask you a question. Would you have done that for him? What would you have done? God loved this man and disciplined him because he loved him. His desire wasn't to ruin him, to crush him, to devastate him. His desire was to break him so that he could bring him back to where he would be in a close relationship with God, even if it cost him his career, and it did. God didn't cause him to sin, but God loved him even when he was sinning, when, God, when he was walking away from God and doing illegal things and things he shouldn't have been doing, when he was full of pride. God still loved him because God's affection is greater for you than anyone else's, and he loves you so much that even when you walk away from him, he'll continue to pursue you and discipline you to get you to come back. For you to see like the prodigal son's brother, or the prodigal son, that it was better for him to be with his father than to be away from his father, right? And this morning, that's where some of you are. You're at church, just like he was, and you're miles from God. I don't know who is and who isn't, but you do and the Holy Spirit does. And maybe you're here this morning solely for the purpose of coming back to him with your whole heart before you face the full discipline of the Lord. Because if you're his, he loves you, And he will pursue you and he will discipline you to bring you back because he wants a close relationship with you. That's his heart. So this morning, I want to encourage you to do what my friend did, repent, which means abandon your sin. It means instead of going that way, turn around and come back this way. It means to own it, to say, I I am the sinner. No one did this, I did this. And God, I know you'll forgive me because he will. He'll meet you and he'll forgive you and he always has loved you. So that's never going to change in your life because his motives are pure toward you. So maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here and you say, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've never, I don't even have a relationship with God. I came because somebody invited me. I figured church was a great place to find God. You're exactly right. But you don't know how to have a personal relationship with God because there is sin in your life that's a barrier. And the Bible says that the only way to have that barrier removed is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He's the substitute for you. He died in your place He paid the penalty for your sin so you don't have to. That is the best news that I know anything about, (laughs) that I don't have to pay for my sin. You don't either. Jesus Christ already paid for it. What you do if you want to be saved, if you want to be a child of God, is you put your faith in Jesus Christ and he will meet you and save you forever perfectly because that's the kind of Savior that he is. So this morning I'm going to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. And pray. If you're already a believer in Jesus Christ and you're right with the Lord, just pray this morning. Pray for the people that are around you. Pray that God will move on their hearts today. Some of you need to repent. Come back before something terrible happens for God to get your attention. Come back. Receive the discipline of the Lord and return to him with your whole heart. But if you're here and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, I I want to offer you that this morning. It's the greatest offer anybody could ever make another human being, and that is to have all your sin forgiven and have Jesus as your Savior and go to heaven when you die and have the Holy Spirit live in you from now on and be your companion and your guide through life. So with no one looking but me, if that's you, if you say, I have never asked Christ to come into my life, but I want eternal life today, I want Jesus as my Savior, would you just raise your hand wherever you are? What, are you going to call me to come down? No, I'm not going to make you come down. You can come down if you want to. You don't have to come down. You can do this right where you're sitting. Thank you. Anybody else, just raise your hand. I want Christ in my life today. It's the greatest offer anybody could ever make you. You guys have your hands up. I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, all I'm going to lead you in is is a, a way of calling on the Lord this morning, doing that very thing, because the Bible makes you the promise that if you call on him, he will save you. He's going to keep his word. He's that kind of God. So with nobody looking around, just pray this to God. He's here. He hears you. He knows what's in your heart. Just say something like this. Dear God in heaven, I am sorry for my sin. I want to be right with you, and I'm thankful that Jesus is my way, that he is the Savior, and I put my trust in him now to save me, and I turn away from sin. I don't want it. I want you. I want salvation. I want to be right with you from now on. So thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.